0: Are you looking for intellectual and personal enrichment, vocational development, or spiritual growth? Atlantic School of Theology offers a range of graduate and diploma programs as well as continuing education events. Learning opportunities via online, hybrid, and on-campus formats are all available, so you can study on campus in Halifax, Nova Scotia, or from anywhere in the world. For more information, visit astheology.ns.ca.
1: Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth and families for collaboration, resourcing and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus's way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Forward podcast. This episode is sponsored by Atlantic School of Theology. This is the the last of six episodes that they have sponsored. So thank you to AST for supporting the work that we are doing in this podcast. My guest today is Natasha Crozier, who is a Master of Divinity student at McMaster Divinity College in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Natasha is uh, a mom uh, and a wife uh, and has three boys at home between 5 and 11, so is very busy both studying and uh, and parenting. Um, and amidst all that busyness, she presented a paper at a conference that I was recently at, at McMaster. And the conference was called Secularism and the Pursuit of Transcendence. And she presented a paper called Follow the Child, A Path to Transcendence that explored wonder and curiosity and kind of took an avenue toward uh, that topic through the lens of children's literature. And I was just really fascinated and thought our listeners need to know about this. So, Natasha, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: I loved your presentation and I thought we would, could start by just having you kind of share a, a little capsule, um, maybe like the, in, in, in Canada, you know, we'd call it the Coles notes, in the States, the, the Cliffs notes. Um, yes. But what would you, how, how might you just unpack your idea a little bit about wonder and curiosity and, and, and how literature can, uh, children's literature can help us follow children um, into their wonder and curiosity?
0: Yeah, sure. So I I wanted to write the paper for the conference because I've been doing a lot of research um, in including children in liturgy and had really come to the conclusion that adults and children stand to gain so much from being together. Um, and especially for adults where we feel like often we have lost sort of the wonder of life. I just noticed for myself That being with my kids and watching them notice the world and watching them love whatever, you know, come and show me a picture in a book or all those different things. Their wonder increases my wonder. And so and we're big readers in our house. So that was a natural connection point for me that when we spend time together, well, particularly because I love Montessori as well. And she talks about the prepared environment. And so one of the things about adults is that sometimes it's really scary to be with kids because they're not very easily controllable and you don't know what's going to happen. And it can feel very anxiety inducing, but reading books together is actually something that most adults probably feel fairly comfortable with doing and have familiarity with and understand the concept. And it, it's less intimidating um, to think about reading a book with a kid than maybe doing a whole bunch of other activities. And so um, that idea that churches especially could prepare an environment for adults and kids to be together through the avenue of children's literature, and that it includes, sev- you know, it's like, obviously, we need the Bible stories. We, we want biblical literacy built for our children we want maybe like there are so many actually really beautiful books now that have less cartoony illustration like there's a lot of i think there's a lot of the market is growing with really beautifully designed bible story books so that's one element of the books that we want to read together because i don't know how many churches church nurseries i've been in where like actually the books aren't even like spiritually related. They're just sort of like the leftover junk donations that people dropped off, you know? Whatever didn't
1: sell at the churchyard sale.
0: Yeah. And it's sort of, I feel like we're really missing an opportunity there to just actually provide rich materials right in our kids' classrooms or in the pews for, you know, if we have quiet bins for children that are staying in the service, you know, however your services work, to have really beautiful books first of all, with our Bible stories, and then also just to be reading children's literature in general together and having those wondering conversations, you know, just times of reflect, like, I wonder what you liked here. I wonder what related to your own life, especially with the middle grade novels. I feel like they're a fantastic um, connection point, even for adults, because they talk about real life, you know, like there's um, amazing diverse voices now coming out with a whole bunch of middle grade fiction and you can like refugees experiencing life in Belgium or like, Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, historical fiction that helps kids understand like what it was like to escape the Holocaust, all those things that are difficult to talk about in sort of a teaching setting. And adults may feel really uncomfortable with like, I don't know enough about how to talk about this but you could read a novel together and just reflect on it and have conversations that give you insight into your children's spiritual development and their perceptions of the world. And also just understanding your own ideas. Like one of the people I researched, it was so funny. She actually said like kids books in that range are really actually about what adults want out of the world. Yeah. Because there's still hope in those kids books, like adult literature sometimes sometimes, is maybe too bleak, and we're all still looking for hope in our Christian environment. And kids' books tend to still give you that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah those were just some of the things I thought of as I was writing the book, start uh, writing the paper. I didn't fully summarize it, but.
1: But there's a lot in there. I mean, to me, you said like quiet bins and quiet bags, but you said, well, what if they're in the pews? And I thought, wouldn't that be a great thing? Um, as you said, like even books made for like four to eight year olds in there and, and a lot of religious publishers right now are really focusing on really high quality, thoughtful, mm-hmm. open ended, diverse books for that age range. Yes, and yeah. I'm trying to It's a, it's, you know, after decades of calling them children's books, I'm really trying to call them picture books right now. Because Mm -hmm. I have a whole pile in my office and I use them in my classes as opening reflections and things like that. And they're because they're great. Um, Mm -hmm. And Wouldn't it be amazing if we actually just like took some money and invested like in our churches in some of these and just put them in our pews? Yeah. People can just anyone of any age can just look yes. at them at any time um just uh last weekend I led a workshop on uh kind of a preaching crash course workshop and then immediately two days later started an uh, teaching an intensive class on children's spirituality so those uh, the the intersection of those two fields has has been playing out in my mind over the past couple weeks and one of the things you know that came up last last week at this class, uh, on children's spirituality is it, it's hard for children to sit through sermons and th- sit through worship services. And I said, it's hard for some adults to as well. Yeah. So what if we had picture books that anyone could open and look at um, at any time? But I want to go back to what you, what you first said at the beginning. You mentioned um, the importance of the prepared environment and how a lot of adults might find working with children difficult because of the uncertainty and the surprise, of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we never know what to expect sometimes. But I wonder if that is related to curiosity and wonder and awe, that there is a surprise element, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can do and, and liturgies are prepared, right, for us to enter into a space yeah. of Connecting with the transcendent, but at the end of the day, liturgy is a is a medium, but really it's something that God facilitates, and we're mm-hmm. often surprised by that kind of those wonder moments. So even the surprising nature of children, them them, the unexpected and and unanticipated nature of the way children live in the world, is itself an an invitation to us to be surprised uh, by those moments of of curiosity.
0: That's why I think adults like all adults need to be with kids for that sort of awakening of those elements, because curiosity is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that when often when we're in a position with children, we think, Oh, I have to have the answers. I have to be the person that knows what's what, but like if we could just be curious and vulnerable, like that's an uh, actually an attitude we should have towards God and being with children will actually allow us to sort of re-access that element of the mysterious about God as well, which could, you know, sometimes we do feel like liturgy is dry and rote or we, we know what's coming and it's all a predictable pattern. And, and yet when you spend time with a, a child who maybe will be Jesus to you, which could be a very scary thing, Jesus wasn't necessarily always, you know, patting everyone on the back. (laughs) No, I I don't
1: remember that story in the Bible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so there's an element. They're there,
1: Peter. They're there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're there. You're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Allowing ourselves to be open to the unexpected that I think is actually a spiritual discipline for adults to, you know, remember our position before God as well and say like, there's lots we don't know about God and to be able to say that to kids and say, let's explore together gives us as adults way greater freedom than maybe we think that we are allowed to have to just mm-hmm. continue being like pilgrims on the road together instead of being the answer man at the mm-hmm. front of the classroom.
1: Yeah. That, that metaphor pilgrims on the road has really uh, been meaningful to me and in, in helping me shape my own understandings of ministry with, with young people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course there are going to be times when we adults are kind of leading the way but yeah. not all. It shouldn't be all the time,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and we don't know what you know what what to expect along um, that journey. I really like what you said about um, you know all adults should should have opportunities to spend time with children, and it doesn't need to be like a, a one-on-one thing mm-hmm. or, or like in children's ministry. It it it's almost what you're like a call to us to actually do church together yeah. adults and young, pe- young people of all ages together yeah for the sake of of everyone
0: we go to a church where kids are welcome to stay there is kids programming during part of the service but not all of yeah. it so more often all the whole family together and it is it's an exercise in willing discomfort To say, you know what? I'm glad the babies are in here. I'm glad that the pastor just had to say, no worries. Someone fell off the pew. We've all done it before. It'll be fine. You know, when some kids start screaming and that we can just pause in that moment and everyone say, yeah, as a collective, we've all had experiences where we felt miserable that everyone suddenly all eyes you know, and you can sympathize. Like those are just that feeling of bonding almost. Then instead of saying, "I can't believe the sermon got interrupted," I'm so frustrated. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. Say, yeah, we're all human. What a good reminder.
1: I mean, there's a lot we could say about um, about wonder and curiosity. Um, But I want to go back to the idea of of children's books, because I know that's a putti- mm-hmm. or or sorry, picture books. I said I'm trying <laughs> to change my. Yeah, my terminology here. Um, uh, what what would you recommend for people who uh, might be a ministry leader or a parent who are listening and um, you know want to dig deeper into uh, children's literature or um, you know image based literature, picture books, and things like that um, as a way of helping to enter into an experience of, of wonder together.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like the curation element of finding the books. There are lots of great recommendations online where you can just, you know, it takes hours of sifting. I have an Amazon wish list, you know, that <laughs> of all the books where I'm like, oh, I need to check that one. I'd want to check that one. I'd want to check yeah. that one. Um, but I, I wish church libraries would come back.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: I don't know where they went. Maybe, maybe some churches still have them, but I, I remember them vaguely as a thing of the past. But they don't seem. It would be amazing, I think. Besides, like having them in the pews or whatever, to to really have like a collection that's available for kids and parents to take home. Because what I've noticed for myself is there's a lot of great stuff in the Hamilton Public Library, but not everything's there. Yeah, and so having the books we really want parents to be able to have access to as a church, to be able to provide those and have even a lending system that they could come and go and bring them back. Cause parents, I mean, most parents are reading something to their kids almost every day, but we don't have the funds to buy the entire collection of amazing children's picture book literature that's out there. Right. So yeah. I think, being able to curate those lists for parents, especially could be considered a, a calling like a ministry just alone and finding this one was, and there are like, there's great Instagram accounts. I think there's one called church, a librarian that will show you some mm-hmm. of the pictures, tell you the theme of what the book is, how they maybe used it in the classroom. And yeah, so there's lots out there, but to find it and curate it always is of course the question. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Well, and then to encourage families, especially like there's a reason church libraries, I think I, I, I'm i with you. I've seen that, too, yeah. on the decline. Right. It's gone to a little cart. Maybe I put that, yes. you know, a cart on the side. Even if there are church libraries, they're often not used anymore, I think, because it's I mean, we could speculate why. Lots but for whatever that. reason, um, I think we almost need to as as church leaders, we need to help people. Uh, like like rekindle the excitement for the the church library, and yeah. maybe what that means is you know as a leader or a children's leader if that, if that's your ministry to if you say you know I really want to curate uh, a good collection of picture books, mm-hmm. every maybe every family or every young person that leaves you know you you stand there with a cart and say which book would you like to take home this week yeah oh you're not going to be you're going away for holidays that's okay bring it back when you're back you know it doesn't need to be just a week make it easy like just remind them that these are here because I think you know we have a generation or maybe half a generation at least there have been a number of years where especially with COVID um where we've almost forgotten of the, the importance of church libraries even if we still have them
0: yeah totally and I think um just modeling the reading too would be fantastic oh, yeah. one of the things i thought of especially with our church cuz it is very tight and chaotic after the service is even if there was a just adult who took a book and sat up on the stage cross you know like just sat down on the floor of the stage and was like i'm reading this picture book for whoever wants to hear it and then you know like i just feel like the the kids would it would just be like magnets like oh mm-hmm. someone's reading like kids show up for that stuff mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you've got, or, and adults, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the adult wants to hear the amazing picture book too. And then you have people who can be chatting with their coffees, but also like everyone's got something that they're sort of engaged in. And then parents see, oh, look, the kids really like that book. Maybe I'll take it home after the service because that one was one they really liked mm-hmm. and you just are sort of showing this is something that we value and that people really like doing together and then kids learn the adults names if they've introduced themselves when they're going to read the book and then they have a connection to say oh you read me that book that was a great book let's talk about it maybe they say hi to that adult again the adults have a an avenue for connection with relating to our kids in general in the coffee hour like I feel like That's just a lost opportunity in general for kids and adults to mix. The kids are supposed to wait and the adults are supposed to have their chat time.
1: Right. You know,
0: and And then, yeah.
1: And and it strikes me as like there almost anyone in our churches can do that. Yeah, Um, can sit and and read a book to the children like the the 10 year olds and the 100 year olds you know yes Um, and so it is uh an opportunity for like what a simple way there's no preparation needed
0: you don't Um, have to make a craft I I'm negative crafty like that's just (laughs) like so you don't have to be intimidated by putting stuff together yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so no craft kits on your Amazon wish list
0: I'm terrible at crafts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what about like, there's some books that I love and that that are part of my collection that are, uh, they'll have questions in the middle of it. um, And I love those books because um, Mm -hmm. it's built in uh, opportunities for conversation and curiosity. What would you recommend uh, for people who want to um, help Engage in curiosity, wonder, um with children uh, as they're reading these kinds of books, whether or not those books, maybe especially if those books don't have those kind of uh, question. engagement questions right in the middle of them.
0: I love Godly play. So uh-huh. I think the questions from the Godly Play stories, the wondering questions, I think you can use those basically across the board or some form form of them, you know, like, I wonder where you see yourself in the story. I wonder what you liked. I wonder what, you know, you could, anything with that sort of I wonder element, but I also- Like, like,
1: I wonder what this character felt like when this happened, that kind of thing. What you
0: related to, what you didn't, maybe what's something that made you uncomfortable or that you didn't understand. I wonder those kind of elements.
1: missing from the story, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And then, like, it's tricky with, with this, you know, like, I wonder where you see God or don't see God, or do you feel like God is in this story right. because kids don't always make those connections, but you don't want to make them for them because yeah, yeah. you want them to discover it themselves. Like my favorite thing was one of my kids listening to the Don Treader on a, like an audiobook and running downstairs. I mean, like mom, Aslan is Jesus. Yeah. It was just like this light bulb moment for them. And I was like, I'm so glad that I didn't tell you that at a time. Like, it was so exciting for them to have made the connection themselves. So, you don't want to like steal those. But yeah, to like help them see that there could be a spiritual crossover or theme that they maybe hadn't thought of, like, then to like sort of help them explore it together. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: It it reminds me of something. Um, I I once heard Brian McLaren say he's been you know a longtime supporter of of faith forward. Um, and in some context, I I once heard him talk about what if you know just as an experiment, we never use the word God with really young children, and we only teach them about love. And then when yeah. they're older, it's like you know what? Instead of giving them a concept of what god Mm. is like what if we just talk about love and Uh, let them feel loved and then say all that love stuff that's you know eventually it's like Mm. well that that's god um Mm. and i think you're right like sometimes we are very prone to teach children about certain things uh, about concepts rather than allow them to make those connections for themselves and to yeah. and But I, but I see where you're coming from. Like, you're like, come on, make that, you know, it's right there. It's right there. Yeah. But the power of finding God and finding Jesus in these stories mm-hmm. for oneself is far bigger than any sort of connections we might make.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially with middle grade books, with like the older kids and chapter books, that's such an identity formation element for them to right. just like, what, what will resonate will be so personal. Yeah. Like I, I remember those books from my grade four or five, six years, and they meant so much to me, but I didn't necessarily even have, like, that's another element of working with kids. You don't necessarily have the words to explain why it resonated so deeply. Yeah. And so that's also where, I mean, obviously Arts and crafts do like if you want to have some paper there because people kids are listening to a story and want to draw while they're listening or Lego, you know, like, let's build the story or what part of the story could we put into something? You know, like those Mm -hmm. are other response forms that maybe are way better for kids who aren't just going to verbalize it. Like there are kids that Mm -hmm. are very verbally reflective, but maybe other kids are like, let's take a walk and go outside Mm -hmm. because that's how they want to respond to it. And Mm -hmm. just for adults, that's so hard because we want it all spelled out in the words. Like, tell me what you thought and I'll make sure it's like so meaningful and intent. Like now I really know you got it. We want sort of that feedback that we succeeded somehow. Yeah. And we have to like really let that go. That's really hard.
1: Yeah, it's that. I mean, part of it is the adult uh, society these days of like the instant instant answer like okay Mm -hmm. did did this have uh have the desired effect right and that's why there's a lot there's some curricula that are like tell the story and ask the kids these questions and it's almost like pretty much the story becomes a means for rote memorization of facts yeah Um, and then did they
0: get the like one line moral to the story check now we're good we know we did our job
1: yeah Exactly. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I was, I was teaching this course this week and one of our readings uh, is a chapter from Robert Keeley who talks about like one of the big problems in children's ministry is that we, we um over moralize the Bible. Like there is a moral or a lesson or an application to every story. And sometimes more often than not, it's just a really complicated, confusing, messy story. And there isn't yeah. a point and there isn't a moral. And we don't do anyone a service by, mm-hmm. by making the story a means to uh, achieve a nugget of truth or a nugget of, of information, maybe yes. <laughs> information. Um, yeah. 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 So, my,
0: my uh, whole upbringing was that, you know, like the moral, like Bible work books and here's what it meant. And that, yeah, I think that's part of why I was so drawn to godly play as an adult like this is the most amazing concept to just let the story stand yeah. as it is and then let the kids think about it and make their own connections and not enforce sort of these moral elements on top of it and I just love that. like I'm all like I would love to do godly plays like, continuously with everyone because I just think right. like, yeah <laughs> like this is I think it would save us from deconstruction you know, like I think so much of my generation, part of the deconstructing is we all that moral baggage that got put in on top, and we're like, wait, turns out the Bible is super weird. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And that's okay, but no one told us that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so- well, and, and it's it's almost like there's this, yeah, I, I don't know if this is a good metaphor or not, but there's a lot of construction going on in my neighborhood right now and it's almost like like we treat religious education as as kind of like construction constructing a building and at some point yeah. the building is done and now you can live in that building yeah and might maybe and- there's some minor upkeep along the way but at the end of the day it is more like the pilgrimage, right? Where every day is a new yeah. phase. Every day you have to do something new. Every day you're going to a new destination. Every night you have to pitch your tent or find a place to sleep, and the mm-hmm. cons- the the process of of building or the, or seeking is never done. And yeah. so it's not, you know, there's always going to be deconstruction, but it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't know if this is a helpful metaphor, but it's not like having to totally do it, the whole a house gut down. Exactly. Yeah. Or tear the whole house down to rebuild it. It's yeah. it's adjusting things and, yes. um, you know, recognizing that the house was never done in the first place. Not even close. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It would be so much more helpful, I think, for everyone to know. I will always be revising this. Yeah. That my house was built and it doesn't match who I am anymore. Crap. What do I do now?
1: Yeah. 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 So I don't I remember who, my... but I, I once heard yeah. someone talk about like, like how really all our theological statements should have like a question mark at the end or I call it I I talk about like the parenthetical question mark like maybe (laughs) you know of course yes God is love but but you know then there are all these other ideas we have there, like yeah maybe Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I I think that's actually a really great point too about kids learning church history Mm -hmm. because I think once you start getting engaged in the history, you realize that faster, that it's always developed along the way. Yeah. And, and that there were people in different times who were also part of our family of faith that thought really different things and that that was okay. Like it gives you a broader sense of belonging, even if you don't feel like you fit into like, like your denominational perspective, maybe there's just less fear than like there's a bigger family here we don't have to be scared of letting go of some of the beliefs that don't resonate for us so yeah
1: and 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 that also then I think hopefully would have an effect of like trying to slow down this mass polarization of, of views and worldviews in our world mm-hmm. where you know I if if I think I'm right that must mean you're wrong this this yeah. deep binary understanding of things first of all recognizing that i might be wrong i could be wrong but also Mm -hmm. recognizing that just because i think this i think one thing doesn't mean that you think something what what you think that's different is wrong yeah Both, you know multiple it's holding these multiple views in tension um, Mm -hmm. by recognizing that we are all on this path of figuring it out yes
0: yeah i love that's part of what i love about the bible project like the videos that they make have you ever watched the like they do books of the Bible videos and they like draw out the curtains. Yeah, I've like, seen a couple. Yes. Yeah. I think those are amazing and kind of serving those two purposes, like gives you biblical literacy in the sense of like, now you know what the book's about, but they will typically mention the different views and how people have interpreted things differently along the way and yeah. just let it sit there. And be like and that's okay they don't say like and they were super wrong you know (laughs) and we only believe this thing there
1: yeah and here's your multiple choice question which of these views is wrong and which is right
0: yeah (laughs) no right so those are like i've watched those with our boys and they love them because of the art element as well and i just think they do a great job of building curiosity towards the bible And then I felt like, that's my hope for the kids is that instead of knowing all the answers by the time they're 18 and that feeling of like, did I teach them all the books of the Bible and will they remember, you know, like sort of my childhood of like, I look at my kids and sometimes I really freak out that they know so much less about the Bible than I did at their age, because I had Bible class every day of my life. right? But then I think, what if I, by the time I got to college, I was like, I know all that, Mm -hmm. you know, and was like, now I'm done. And I I like test it out of my Bible requirements, you know. So, so I would rather build in them a curiosity towards the Bible that keeps them exploring all their lives. And so then, when they hit those moments of wanting deeper revelation and encounter, they will seek it themselves. Mm-hmm. So at least that's my hope. But, but I tell. But isn't
1: that also like isn't that part of Bible liter of biblical literacy? It's not just knowing what's in the Bible, but it's like yeah. being able to, um, like understand the whole idea of scripture and how to un- understand how you know these different stories fit together i mean one thing that um i often uh find when i'm when i'm teaching is uh in some contexts is is having to you know engage in a discussion about the the fact that there are certain biblical stories that paint god in a really horrible light like like stories where if you read it on the surface it's god saying yeah not only is genocide okay, but I'm telling you to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you actually, if we recognize that, well, these are stories of people trying to work out their relationship with God. Not just an, not just work out the relationship itself, but work out their understanding of that relationship. Yeah, um, It opens us to recognize that, okay, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. mean we should do it. Because there's yeah. a lot, a ton of stuff in there that we should, you know... it it, it, on the surface it looks like god says it's okay Mm -hmm. but but looking deeper with a deeper biblical literacy you know you say well why would why would a god who on the one hand said you know let justice flow down like a river Mm -hmm. then also say oh by the way you should kill those canaanites because they're living in the land that i gave to you like yeah we have to be able to wrestle with those and recognize Mm -hmm. that it's a it's a it's a library of stories of people working out their own understandings of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most fascinating things that I didn't realize until very recently was like, when you look at the story of Abraham specifically, it's like, they had no clue who this God was. Like, yeah, they we're starting from complete scratch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like. It's not like they had all this background of like, this is what God intends and this is how he operates and this is what God does. It was like a a random voice has communicated something to me and I have to like develop a relationship to figure out what it even means. Like what deity am I serving? Yeah. It's it's like a really fascinating way to look at it.
1: Well, and the fact that these stories are written, like no one was sitting there you know, like a like a court yeah, uh, a court transcription, mind. yeah, yeah. Um, one of my colleagues here at 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 Atlanta School of Theology talks about how, um, like I was talking to him about the, uh, the the story of the of the Canaanites, uh, mm-hmm. of of the the Promised Land and and the the Israelites going into Canaan, and um, they uh, he was saying like there are all sorts of theories that scholars have about when that story was actually written down Mm -hmm. and and one of the ones that sticks out to me was when he was talking about like you know some people think like they imagine um the author of that book um like in a cave during the babylonian captivity like hidden away somewhere like we better write these down because you know our our way of our our stories and our people are threatened right now and so someone's got to write these things down um and it paints a totally different picture of of making sense. So not only is it people making sense of, you know, their relationship with God, but it's people making sense of things that happened, or that they were told happened hundreds of years Mm -hmm. ago, and stories that were told orally for so long, that that evolved over time. So there's, there's multiple layers here. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's incredibly complex to teach these things sometimes to adults and to get your own head around it let yeah, alone to totally. think about how we teach these things to children. But if we at least open the, the wonder to them mm-hmm. and not present it as here's the story, even books that aren't about Bible stories, but any books, like if we yeah. if we enter them with curiosity and wonder, then hopefully it lets them grow into adults who don't leave that wonder behind.
0: Yeah, your last point at, with about how like, maybe they're writing it in a cave to preserve their history and their stories. I think that's another element where I think we have a huge opportunity for the storytellers within our congregations. Yeah. To realize that we have stories we could write and preserve for our children as well about yes. our own church history and like I know there's a lot of creatives and they're they're all over our churches and if we If we thought about it, it's like kids love hearing stories from the past, but like not just any past, like even our specific past. And so something to brainstorm with churches, too, is how do we tell the story of how our kids belong and fit in our own story here? And maybe there's art and picture books that come out of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can create those stories, too.
0: Yeah, that would be fun.
1: We often have all the resources we we need in our communities. They might not be the most eloquent yeah. stories or the most beautiful drawings, but the good thing is we don't need them to be for them to be, yeah. Um, be special. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There is so much we could more that we could talk about. And I love the many different paths and um, detours we took on this um this this conversation today. I'm really grateful that uh, I got to meet you at that conference. I'm really grateful that now all of our listeners get to meet you and learn uh, more about the the great work that you're doing, the great uh, insights you have about story and wonder and curiosity to nurture children's uh, and and all of our spiritual lives.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really wonderful to join the community of people who care. Thanks
1: for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.